We'll just call Anthony the king of the dad jokes. <laughs> I said in the last service there might have been more than seven bad jokes in that announcement. Oh, sorry, Anthony. I do. I do love you. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good. Uh, welcome to everyone online. I don't want to forget that if you're watching out there in, in cyber world. Welcome to Church of the Savior. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 29. Now, while you're turning there or scrolling there, let me ask you a question. Has anybody in here ever had their feelings hurt? Yep, I have. Has anyone in here ever done something to hurt someone else's feelings? Everybody, yes, we have all done that. So what it is, is that we have all been grieved. On a very basic level, that's what it means to be grieved. Our feelings are hurt, we feel sorrow, we are saddened. We have all felt that way, and we have all done things to other people to grieve them. So we have all grieved, and we have all been grieved. Now, hopefully you're at Ephesians chapter 4 by now. Starting in verse 29, this is the King James Version that I'm reading from. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So the title of the message today is, don't be a griever. When I grew up, it was all, everybody said, don't be a hater. Don't be a player. I don't know if kids say that anymore these days. I'd have to ask Fontes. But we don't want to be a griever. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, before we talk about what it is to grieve, who does the Scripture tell us that we are not to grieve? As Pastor Steve always says, third grade level, it's up on the board. The Holy Spirit. We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe the first thing we have to understand about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is not a what. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a whom. You see, to many people, the Holy Spirit's an enigma. Some see him as an impersonal force or influence. This is not Star Wars. Some deny his very existence, and others aren't really certain on who or what the Holy Spirit really is. But the Bible is very clear about this. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity. Now, by person, I mean one who has their own identity, their own characteristics, individuality. They are conscious of their own existence. You see, the Holy Spirit has thought. He has a will. He is omnipresent. He has deity. But he also has emotion. He can come and go as he pleases. He can be resisted. And yes, he can even be grieved. You see, you can't have the Father and you can't have the Son without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's co-equal with God the Father, co-equal with God the Son. You cannot remove one of the three persons of God 
and still have the God that we learn about in the Bible. You see, a lot of people will say, give me Jesus, give me the Father, but the Holy Spirit, let's just leave him over here. That's a little weird. I don't know about all that. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will never operate at full capacity. You might as well be getting in a car without the engine or with no gas in the tank. So what are some characteristics of the person of the Holy Spirit? Well, we receive the Holy Spirit when we are saved. Listen to what Peter said to the crowds on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this next part. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Many of you know I was a prodigal for 18 years. If you have a prodigal in your life, if you have someone who is far off that you are interceding for, this is a promise prayer. This promise is for you and your children, all who are far off. I just had to throw that in there. Next, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are his temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And this is one of my favorites, Romans 8.11, 11. Uh, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We are the very indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in every single one of us. That gives me great hope. That excites me. That, ha- that makes me have no fear to go out and tell the world about my Lord and Savior because greater is he that is in me that is in the world. Hallelujah. I want my temple to be a place that the Holy Spirit wants to dwell. If my temple is dirty, if my temple's out of order, if my temple has sin in it, is the Holy Spirit going to want to dwell there? I think not. It will have direct effect on my relationship, not only with the Father, not only with the Son, but with the Holy Spirit. Next, he moves us toward truth. He speaks on behalf of the Father and shows us things to come. Listen to what John says. 16, 12 through 15. There is so much more I want to tell you. This is Jesus speaking, but I cannot bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future or will tell you things to come. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said, The Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So I ask you the question, why would you not want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? 
If he lives within us, if he speaks to us, why wouldn't we want to listen to his voice? But so many times we do not. We push his voice away. Next, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Romans 8, 26 through 27. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, when we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's us, in accordance with God's will. You see, as Christians, we're not, co- we're not left to cope with life situations on our own. Even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. When was the last time you prayed, asked the Holy Spirit to pray for you? When was the last time you actually prayed to the Holy Spirit? Did you know you can pray to the Holy Spirit? Now, this is important to note. Whenever you pray to the Holy Spirit or ask the Holy Spirit to pray for you, or when you pray at all, we need to pray in accordance to God's will. That's what the scripture says, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to God's will. Not our will be done, but his will be done. And next, I love this, the Holy Spirit's our helper. He is here to help us. You see, Jesus had to go be with the Father for the Holy Spirit to come. John 16, 7 says, but I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit gives us direct access to Jesus while we are here on this earth. He's our agent here on earth with us. So Ryan, you're telling me that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God is my personal helper here on earth. He guides me into truth. He's my counselor. He's my teacher. Yes, he is. Amen. Now, there are so many other characteristics about the Holy Spirit that I don't have time to go into. These are not in your notes, so if you catch some of these, you may want to jot them down. He gives us wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. He makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit produces holiness within us. He will convict us, strip away our love for sin, and lead us to become more like Jesus. I love this one. He helps us understand the Bible. The Bible is Holy Spirit inspired. He's the best Bible study teacher you can have. He calls us to work. The Spirit will lead you to your calling. He will lead you to your vocation. I have listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit over the last three years, and praise God, I have finally answered my calling to serve Him. And He empowers us to build the church. He gives us power to witness to people. He gives us power to evangelize. Pastor Bill always says this, and I love it. We need to learn to take marching orders from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me the grace to accomplish every spiritual assignment that you have set out for me today. So the person, the very person of the Holy Spirit who does 
all of these things for us, this is what it really boils down to. Just like the Father, just like the Son, the Holy Spirit desires an intimate relationship with every single one of us. Now, just as we're in relationship with husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, family members, co-workers, other believers here in the church, let's just be honest, we say things and we do things that can insult, offend, cause others to mourn. We dismiss people. We push them away, ignore them, cause them to suffer, and we sadden them. In other words, we do and say things to those that we are in relationship with that cause them to be grieved. And we can do the exact same thing to the Holy Spirit. Now you see, if you love someone, you want to spend time with them, get to know them, love on them, dialogue with them. You want to learn and gain information about them. You want to know what's going on in their life. You want them to know what's going on in your life. So the last thing that you ever want to do to someone that you love, that you profess to care about, is grieve them. Yet so often, our actions, our words, our sins and that's what it really is, grieve the very person of the Holy Spirit, the one who is here on this earth with us to guide us into the truth of Jesus Christ and the will of the Heavenly Father. We dismiss the promptings and the nudges and oftentimes completely refuse to listen. We shut our ears to that still small voice. We shut our ears to the whisper. And ladies and gentlemen, the more we choose not to listen, the easier and the easier it gets. And you know, maybe this is a little childish, but maybe it's the level that we need to get on. When someone doesn't listen to you, when someone doesn't think that your opinion matters, it hurts. It hurts our feelings. When all you want someone to do is care about what's going on in your life, and they dismiss you, they push you away, they ignore you, how does that really make you feel? It's not good. Well, that's how the Holy Spirit feels when we grieve Him. So the question begs to be asked, well, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, in Ephesians, what we just read, Paul gives us a list of seven things. We're going to break down Paul 7, and then we're going to actually move into some other areas where I know I've personally grieved the Holy Spirit, and perhaps you have as well. So when we start in verse 29, back at the beginning, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let's stop there. No corrupt communication. Your version may say foul language or unwholesome talk. Now, corrupt communication in Greek is the word sapros, this is a word that depicts something that is putrid or rotten. Think of foul meat. Anybody ever smelled or seen foul meat? You're lucky I only put a cartoon picture up there because I found some pictures of rotten meat. I didn't want to make anybody sick this morning because that's what it does. It makes you sick to your stomach. The word rotten, think of, anybody ever bitten into a rotten apple? 
It's nasty, it's spoiled, it's decayed, and it's sickening to the taste. So whether you're thinking of meat or rotten fruit, it's disgusting to taste or smell. You know, I have a problem of going to the fridge and milk right out of the carton. And I've gone and chugged milk that has gone sour, and what it does is it literally makes you sick to your stomach. So when Paul, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to use the word sapros to describe this type of communication, it is literally language that reeks to high heaven. Now the word communication in Greek is logos. This means words. But when used in conjunction with the word de- uh, corrupt, it, it's forms of communication, like we said, that are putrid or disgusting to the recipient. And as far as God is concerned, this type of communication, this type of language has no place in the church. It has no place anywhere. Think about that rotten apple again. If you've got a bushel of apples and there's one rotten apple in that bushel and you don't remove that apple it will spread to the entire basket and it will ruin it. And that is exactly how ruinous corrupt communication is to those that hear it. Now next, look at verse 30. We're gonna come back to verse 30. Verse 30, this is the warning. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I want you to circle that word sealed. I want you to underline it. I want you to star it because we're going to come back to that. But verse 31, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness is something that can get very, very deep into our hearts. When a seed of bitterness is planted in our hearts, that seed can take root and it can grow. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Anybody in here ever held a grudge? Yeah. Anybody, we've already asked, anybody ever been hurt? We all have, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. A bitter root forms when we allow disappointment from hurts to grow. When we refuse to let our spirit be reconciled and we hold on to that bitterness and really that unforgiveness and we don't let the Holy Spirit rip that root out of us, we grieve him. And what happens when you get people with a root of bitterness, you get people that are just walking around mad all the time. Anybody know anybody like that? They're just walking around mad at the world. And the bad thing is, is they don't leave it to themselves. They want to tell you how mad they are at this and that and the other. Many times, people who are bitter are hypersensitive, ungrateful, insecure, and they have a heart that is at war and not at peace. And Hebrews 14 that we just read tells us that holiness is coupled with living in peace and right relationship with God will lead to right relationship with others. And I know that for me, whenever I find myself getting bitter, I feel like I've been wronged, I've gotten the short end of the stick. Being quick to forgive is the sure 
surefire remedy to get rid of bitterness. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. And if you have any grievance against, against someone, what should you do? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now next, Paul goes into wrath. Your version may say rage. The Greek word for wrath is thymos. It implies something hot, fierce, and passionate. I think of when I go camping with my Royal Rangers. And no, I don't have wrath towards my Rangers. I only want to lock them in their tents for 12 out of the 24 hours of the camping day. No, we build fires in Royal Rangers. A firecraft is a merit. And a fire is, is very useful. You can cook on it. You get warmth. It can protect you from predators. And in a survival situation, I mean, it can be the difference between life and death. But fires, when tended to, are life-giving. But they can, however, very, very quickly turn from a docile fire into a raging fire if you are not careful. I lived in California for almost eight years. They deal with fires all the time. I've seen literally in front of me a fire jump the freeway that I had to drive through. A small fire, a small contained fire with a little bit of wind can blow into a raging fire in seconds. Our tempers can do the same thing. Our tempers, and especially for us men, they need to be kept in check. Proverbs 14, 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Are you prone to outbursts? Are you easily irritable? Do you find yourself in arguments more than in civil conversation? This goes back to corrupt communication. You see, the word tells us that the tongue has great power. It can bring life and it can bring death. Listen to what James says. We all make mistakes. If anyone does not make a mistake with his tongue by saying the wrong things, he is a perfect man. I am not that man. It shows he's able to make his body do what he wants it to do. We make a horse go wherever we want it to by a small bit in its mouth. We turn the whole body. Sailing ships are driven by strong winds, but a small rudder turns a large ship whatever way the man at the wheel wants the ship to go. The tongue is also a small part of the body, but can speak big things. See how a very small fire can set many trees on fire? The tongue is a fire. It's full of wrong. It poisons the whole body. The tongue sets our whole lives on fire with the fire, listen to this, that comes from hell. Men can make all kinds of animals and birds and fish and snakes do what they want them to do, but no man can make his tongue say what he wants it to say. It is sinful and does not rest. It is full of poison that kills. With our tongue we give thanks to our Father in heaven, and with our tongue we speak bad words against men who are made like God. Giving thanks and speaking bad words come from the same mouth. My Christian brothers, this is not right. Does a well of water give good water and bad water from the same place? Can a fig tree give olives? Or can a grapevine give a fig? A well does not give both good and bad water. Do your words on Sunday match your words on Monday? Do your words on Sunday match your words at home? Match your words at school? 
match your words with your coworkers. I think of a snake's tongue, it's forked, right? On one side do you give life, but then on the other side you give death. On one side do you build up, but then on the other side do you tear down. Psalm 38.7 says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Now wrath and anger flow direct, or wrath and rage flow directly into the next point, which Paul gives, which is anger. Now if you're still in Ephesians 4, go all the way up to verse, go up a couple verses to verse 25. It says, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And I would underline this next point, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, a quick note here. This is not righteous anger that Paul is speaking about. There is a th- such thing as righteous anger. But righteous anger is temporary, based on a specific situation and rooted in a sense of righteousness. Jesus clearing out the temple is an example of righteous anger. Abortion makes me angry. Seeing bullying happening, that makes me angry. That is a righteous anger. Paul's reference is to a worldly type of anger which comes from the frustrations in our lives. And we all have frustrations. This is a persistent anger that becomes a habit. It becomes habitual in your life. If you have an issue of anger, really, if you have an issue of any habitual sin in your life, there's probably a deeper spiritual root issue that needs to be taken care of. Now, remember I said underline that that foothold part? Don't even give the devil a toehold. You see, spiritual strongholds don't start out as strongholds. They don't happen overnight. Toeholds become footholds. Footholds become strongholds. I spoke last month in March to encounter about facing giants in our lives. Well, giants don't start out as giants. They have to be fed over a period of time. So are you building up strongholds in your life or are you tearing them down? Are you facing the giants in your life or are you feeding them? Now, the scripture gives us a way to deal with our anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James 1, 19 through 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All of us can work on this. Now, many of you may have seen this acronym before. But before you speak, you should often think. I love this acronym. T, is it truthful? Is what you're saying based in a lie? Or is it truth? Will it bring truth to another person? H, is it helpful? I always want the words that come out of my mouth to be helpful. I don't ever want them to be discouraging to anyone. Is it inspiring? Are you encouraging people? Are you lifting up or are you tearing down? In, this is a big one. Is it necessary? Do you need to be even saying the words that are coming out of your mouth? Maybe not. Open mouth, insert foot. Is it even necessary? 
And is it kind? Are you operating in the fruit of the Spirit? Speaking love, joy, peace, patience to people? It's so important to think about. Now next, we come to an interesting word. Clamor. Your version may have brawling. Clamor, it's a loud noise. It's an outcry. It's an exclamation. I was diagnosed with sleep apnea not too long ago, and I had been on a CPAP machine, and uh, my wife would definitely tell you that I made a clamor when I slept. I snored so loud, she said, I shake the walls. Thank you for CPAP machines. I no longer shake the walls. And brawling is fighting. It's a fight. This can be verbal, or it can actually be physical fighting. You see, what Paul's really talking about here is a spirit of quarreling. We do not want to have a quarrelsome spirit. Proverbs 17, 14 says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit the quarrel before it breaks out. Have you ever tried to plug up a water that's coming out of a hole really fast? It's really hard to do. You see, when wrath and anger reach its boiling point, it can break out into an argument. I love what Anthony says. He says, to deal with things, have the hard heart-to-heart conversations. Whatever issue's going on, deal with it before it reached the boiling point and the dam's broken and you can't stop the water from flowing. Now the next word, these next two points, I, I cannot stand these words. The next word is slander. These next two words have a lot of S's in them. It makes me think of a snake. Now, a lot of people may think that gossip and slander are the same thing. They're not. Gossip and slander are two different things. But you can, however, slander when you gossip. Gossip is sharing information that need not be shared. And it may or may not be true. Now, lots of times I think gossip is shared under the pretense that it is true So then people justify, well, because it's true, I can say it. It doesn't need to be shared. Now, slander is the sharing of false information with the malicious intent to harm the reputation of someone else. You know, slander is it's it's deliberate, it's thought out. Listen to what Psalm 105 says about the Lord's view on slander. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. I think that gives you everything you need to know about the Lord's position on slander. In Matthew, the word says that on the day of judgment, we will give account for every careless word that we speak. You know, we've all heard this before, but it's so true. If you don't have anything nice to say... Don't say anything at all. It's so very true. And I'm going to say something else. And this is so true. And I've fallen short on this. Other people's business is not your business to share. It's their business, not yours. Now the last point, number seven in Paul, that Paul gives us is malice, maliciousness. It's a word that sounds as bad as it is. Malice comes from a spirit to do harm to someone, and it comes out of a spirit of hate and revenge. 
You know, when you have the intent to harm someone, whether it be physically or verbally, you have a malicious spirit. And lots of times, probably almost all the time, it's because you want to have control over that person. You want to be able to manipulate the situation. And a lot of times it's born out of jealousy towards that other person. Now, I also believe you, you may have thoughts, but even if you don't act out on these thoughts, a spirit of malice is produced. 1 John 3.15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So that's Paul 7. So what's the bottom line here? The bottom line is that when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we create spiritual distance. We never want the Holy Spirit to withdraw from us because of grief, because of the sin in our lives. If I grieve my wife, if I sin against Sarah, if I do wrong, it's gonna drive a wedge in between us and separate us if we don't have the hard, hard to heart, heart conversation and deal with it. Now, I told you I was gonna tell you some ways that I know that I personally grieve the Holy Spirit. Many of you all know my story, some of you may not. I was a prodigal for 18 years. I knew the Lord, I was very close to him all the way up through high school, but in college, I started to go my own way. I got into a relationship with a woman we were unequally yoked, and I very specifically heard the Holy Spirit whispering to me, you do not need to be in this relationship. And I actually wrote this down in a journal. I said, Lord, I hear you, but I am choosing not to listen. We, oh, we hurt him so bad when we choose not to listen. And really what happened was, is I became prideful and selfish because I thought that I could do a better job at running my life than the Lord could. I don't need any help. I can make my own decisions. And you know what? The Lord will say, yes, you can. But you know what happened the moment I did that? The Holy Spirit withdrew from me. He took his hand off of my life the moment that I said, I'm choosing not to listen to you. You see, the Holy Spirit's position doesn't change. We change. If I'm operating underneath the hand of the Holy Spirit, I'm the one that steps out. I'm the one that chooses not to operate where I was, not the Holy Spirit. And what happened to me was I started justifying my sinful behavior. And I started returning over and over and over again to sin. I started, I returned to the bottle. For 18 years I was a drunk. I returned to the dope, I returned to the pills over and over and over again. Listen to what 2 Peter 2.20 says. And this is talking to the believer here. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, 
They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned their backs, because that's what we do, on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Do you return to the mud? Are there specific sins in your life that you continue to return to over and over again? I've listed a few. Lust. Especially for us men, what do we look at? What do you look at online? What do you look at on the magazine? What do you look at on Facebook, TikTok? Pride, we talked about that. Do you think that you can run your life better than God can? When we get into that sort of position, what we are doing is saying, I I can be God better than you can, and we turn ourselves into an idol. We turn ourselves into a God, and we break the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Bitterness, we just talked about it earlier. Do you have a bitter root in your heart? This is a big one. Do you grieve the Holy Spirit with lack of quiet time in prayer? Because it grieves them when we don't spend time with them. If you profess to love someone, you want to spend time with them. Idolatry. Do you spend more time on Facebook than on, in the good book? What do you spend your time with? Are you called to serve and you're not? Has the Lord been nudging you about serving in a ministry? Maybe someone's called to missions in here. And they hear that call, but they're not taking it. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you, whispering to you. Now perhaps, and I believe this was for me, the way we grieve the Holy Spirit the most is maybe not the act of the actual sin, but the fact that we run and we hide. This goes all the way back to the garden. Genesis 3, 8 through 10 says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We turn our backs, we turn our shoulder, we hide, we try and conceal. You know, I was really good at hiding my sin for a while. You can never hide your sin from the Lord. You never can. So what's the solution? Well, it just popped up before it was supposed to. (laughs) Confess and renounce, that's the solution. Listen to what Proverbs 28, 13 says. The one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Well, what's confession? We have to tell the Lord what's going on in our life. We have to get gut level honest about the things that are happening. And then I think you need to tell a trusted friend about it. You need to confess to someone else. Not so they're gonna guilt you and shame you, but so they're gonna help you. They're gonna be a brother or a sister that comes along beside you. And then renounce. You have to forsake. You have to abandon the sin that was in your life. You have to be going this way and turn around and go the other way. Repenting, you have to have a change of mind. 
you can no longer live the way that you were living. Now there's hope, there's good news. Because the moment that there is godly sorrow, now this is not sorry because you got caught. This is sorry because Father, I'm so sorry that my sin is like driving the nails back into your hands. When you have godly sorrow, the Holy Spirit will come rushing and running to you. His ministry, his ministry is to show you the forgiving love of the Father. Not so you're shamed, not so you're guilted. He says, come home to me. I'm here to help whatever you have. Lay your burdens down. Now, you remember that word sealed that we talked about? In Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 and 14, this is what it says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, praise the Lord. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We are marked with God's seal. The tomb was sealed shut. We are sealed in Christ. And it's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit's a promise. He says he would promise to send you. The Lord will do what he says he will do. His promises are always yes and amen. And I love this. The Holy Spirit is the validating signature on our contract of inheritance into the kingdom. Praise God. Worship team, come on up. I want you to think of it this way. You have a destination that you need to get to. Well, I have a ticket that will get you to this said destination. And it will arrive on time. It will arrive when it's supposed to. It is guaranteed. But as we all know, on a, for a flight, if you don't have your boarding pass, if you don't have your ticket, are you going to be able to get on that plane? Nope. And you also have to show up on time. If you don't show up on time and that door closes, they're going to let you on that plane? Nope. Now, here's the other thing about this flight. This flight's a little different because this flight's going to land. It's going to land multiple times. You have to stay on the plane. Now, you're going to be tempted to want to get off this plane because it's going to land at some very nice exotic locations, beaches, woods to go camping, mountains to go skiing. It's going to be tempting, but you have to stay on the plane. You see, folks, the destination is heaven. And the ticket of guarantee is your salvation. It's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's your personal Lord, he's your personal Savior, and the guarantee is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But see what happens if that plane lands and you get off, what that is, that's when sin creeps in. And maybe you get right back on the plane the first time, but then it lands at another destination and you step off again, and ooh, this place is really nice. So you stay a little bit longer. 
And that starts to happen over and over, and you stay a little bit longer, and you stay a little bit longer. I don't want you to turn around and that plane be gone because you stayed too long. I want you to stay on the plane. Stand with me, if you will. Now, maybe you're here today and you would say, Ryan, I've never even purchased a ticket. I've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior, to take my sins and to wash me clean. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're here today and you say, Ryan, I purchased a ticket. I purchased a ticket 30 years ago. Maybe you purchased a ticket just three months ago. But I'm stepping off that plane too much. There's sin in my life that I have not dealt with. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna ask you to do something very brave. If you are in either of those two camps, you've never gotten a ticket, you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, or you'd say, Ryan, I get off the plane too much. I have sin I need to deal with. Would you just raise your hand? If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you feel a tug at your heart, that's the, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to, we're going to worship. There are going to be people that are down here to pray with you. Would you come find me? If you've never made that decision to be personal Lord and Savior, I want you to, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. We can all repeat it. Dear Heavenly Father, I recognize that my sin grieves you. I recognize that my sin separates me from you. Forgive me of my sin. I confess that you are Lord and Savior, and I renounce my sin. Be the Lord of my life. Be the guider of my heart. Help me to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to do business with the Lord, this altar will be open. If you made that decision to get a ticket for the first time tonight, this morning, please come find me and talk to me. The altar's open, worship.
Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. That our sins, he bore our sins. Father, I just pray a blessing over your people. That we would go out, take marching orders for the Holy Spirit. And that we would be conscious of your voice, Holy Spirit, in our lives. And that we would choose to be a people that listen and choose to be a people that follow. Release obedience into your people, Lord. I pray a hedge of protection over everyone as they go. Bless them this week, I pray. Slip out quietly if you need prayer. These altars are still open. In Jesus' name, amen.